Okay, it's 10 a.m. Good morning, and um, we're going to begin. Um, let's begin with um, looking at this part of the Perak. So let's begin with Perak Yud. It's in Baha'u'llah, just so we kind of get our bearings as to what we're talking about, just so we can get a bigger picture. So Perak Yud in Baha'u'llah. Begins by the Bar Hashem and Moshe Lamer. Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, So this is kind of a, a concept that we we don't have familiarity with. We 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 never lived in a time where um, we were summoned as a nation with two silver trumpets. But Hashem says to Moshe, make for yourself two silver trumpets, and He tells them how to make it, and um, they will be used to summon the congregation, the Mikra Eda, or the Masa Esamachanais, and to initiate the departure of the camps. And I think I just mentioned this last week that one of my pet peeves is when people speak about wandering in the desert, and you could see that there was no wandering going on here. It was very, very orchestrated, and there was kind of some drama and, and um, pomp and pageantry that, that accompanied this. They were summoned with the silver um, trumpets, and in Pasuk Gimel, the Sokobahen, when they will blow them, the entire congregation shall present itself to you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So that would be if there had to be like a town hall meeting and all the Yidin had to come together, um, then the trumpets would be blown, both of them. But if they blow one of them, the leaders shall present themselves to you, the heads of Israel's thousands. So, but if Misha had to speak to only the leaders, then it would only be one of the trumpets that was blown. Then in Pasuk Hay, um, 5, when you blow a truer, the camps that are camped eastward shall travel. If you blow a second truer, they shall travel the camps that are camped on the south side. They shall blow a truer for their journeys, etc., etc. Um, but in Pasuk Zayim, but when gathering the congregation, you shall blow a blast, but not a truer. So they had to learn how to um, identify the different sounds that were being blown. And, the, and, and there was a different kind of blast uh, or sound that was blown for different purposes. Um, and then in Pasuk Ches, we talk about that Bnei Aaron, the sons of Aaron, shall blow the trumpets, and that this will be Lechukas Oilam. Now we're coming to what we're going to be really zooming in on today. Pasuk Tes. And if a war will come into your land, against the oppressor who oppresses you. Okay? So you are going to be living under the dominion of a certain people. And then if somebody else comes to do battle with them, you shall blow the trua with the trumpets. You'll be remembered before God. And you'll be delivered from your enemies. And um, by the way, um, you probably know that there's a, uh, a in, in terms of chiyuv hatfila between the Rambam and the Ramban. And the Rambam bases his, the chiyuv of tfila on all the times in the Torah, once in Shemais, and I think uh, twice or three times in Devarim, where it says, Vavaratem es Hashem al-Kechem. He, and he, he quotes the Gemara saying that, Ezehi, Zuhi Tfila. Um, so the Rambam says that you have to daven every single day. You have to touch base with Hashem every single day. The Ramban, on the other hand, actually bases the Chiyuv of Tefillah on this Pasuk test, that the, the Etzem Chiyuv of Tefillah, according to the Ramban, is 
in a time of oppression, in a time of constraints, in a time of difficulty. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting that this is like the possible, we go according to the Rambam that you have to daven every single day. That was just an aside. Okay. Pasuk Yud is the Pasuk that we're going to be looking at and the Rashi. On your joyous days, on your festivals, and on the beginning of your months, you shall blow with the trumpets for your burnt offerings and for your peace offerings, different types of kabanus. And this should be a remembrance for you before Hashem. And then, I am God, your God. Um, so we're going to be looking at Rashi on this Pasuk. For those of you who are, are here um, last week, last week's Sikha was kind of like a walk in the park. This one is going to take a little bit more work. Um, it's a Rashi Sikha. And uh, two things I want to do before we go into the Sikha. One is I just want to recall, and because I'm so tech challenged, I, I, I apologize that I wasn't able to kind of get it together to get a clip of this so you see this with your own eyes and play it for you. Um, but when the Rebbe gave out Keshel Bracha, so um, in Tavshin Mem, that's uh, 1980, uh, Matzei Rosh Hashanah. So the Rebbe used to make Havdalah after Fabringen on Matzei Yom Tov, on certain Yom Tovim. He would have a Fabringen that would start on Yom Tov and would go into after Yom Tov, and he would make Havdalah. And then he would pour a little bit of wine from his kos into as many people as wanted a little bit of wine, and they would get a bracha, and this was, this was called koshal bracha. And in 1980, on Matzei Rosh Hashanah, during the koshal bracha, they would sing different tunes. They would sing different uh, melodies. And they sang a certain melody, and um, it became very, very lively and, and, and very impassioned. And, at, and then you could see that uh, Chazan Telushevsky, Rabbi Telushevsky, who was a Chazan of for all of his life, a wonderful chazan. He passes by uh, the Rebbe to get Keshel Bracha, and the Rebbe tells him that he should put this Pasuk, Pasuk Yod, that we're going to be studying today, he should put this to that tune that they were singing at that time. And uh, it took a little bit <laughs> for people to understand what the Rebbe wanted and how it should be sung. And it was, it's a very interesting scene to, to see. But the Rebbe chose this Pasuk to put to that tune. Um, and it's sung, you know, ever since then very, very often. So I kind of just wanted to recall that because that was a memory. Um, and the other thing I want to do is um, just before we go into this Rashi Sicha, uh, share a story. I'm not much of a storyteller, um, but certain stories, uh, once I hear them, they kind of arrest me and then I think about them a lot. Um, and this is one such story. And I think that uh, for people who are getting into Rashi Sichas, or maybe if there's somebody who's never done a Rashi Sicha, this, this can really um, help to give us an appreciation for this. So there's a story about Rabbi Shimshon of Astropol, uh, who is famous for his two books on Kabbalah. And one day, Rabbi Shimshon decided to write a complete Kabbalistic commentary on the Gemara. Okay, very ambitious project. Okay, he wants to write a complete Kabbalistic uh, commentary on the, on the Gemara to explain the secret and hidden meanings of this enormous body of Jewish learning. 
So he made good use of his knowledge and he completed the complex work after considerable labor. Now being a very, very holy man, he subjected the book to what's called a she'elas chalom, the test of a dream. Meaning that he put the manuscript somehow under his pillow, he went to sleep, and he asked God, he asked Nebuchadnezzar to, to tell him if this is a worthy book or not. And the answer that he got to his question was that his work was too lengthy and too elaborate. Okay, so the editor wants him to, to refine his work. Okay, so he made it shorter and he made it tighter and he posed the question again. And the answer was the same, too lengthy, too elaborate. So again, he cut his work down and again was told that it's not sufficiently precise and clear. So he worked on it for years. And when he had made it as short and concise as he could, he looked at it one last time before he submitted it to Hashem in a dream. And he realized that what he had before him was Perush Rashi al-Hatalmud. What this means is that he was able to understand what all of the illusions, everything that was found, all the riches that were found in Rashi's commentary. And I think that this is um, uh, uh, an interesting prelude to, to, to studying Rashi's sikhs for the first time because it's such a paradigm shift because conventionally we think of Rashi as the most simple of all Mephorshim, right? It's the first Mephorshim, it's the first commentary that a child is introduced to. But the Rebbe's radical re- learning of Rashi was to plumb the depth and, and to show us what's going on beneath the surface of Rashi, that it's mamish, this is, there's a treasure trove, and it's not just pshat, there's remez, and there's drush, and, the, and, there's, and there's said, there's what the Rebbe calls the yenashel terror, the wine of terror that you get when you really squeeze out the grapes of terror. Um, so there's also like a klale Rashi, the Rebbe, the Rebbe really... Um, created like a, a, there's a science for how to read Rashi. Um, we're not going to go into that today. Um, we're going to do this Rashi Sikha forthwith. We're going to start right now. Um, but there's, there's a lot to say and a lot to learn, but I just figured that that story might be of interest to you because I've always kind of thought about it. Okay, so now let's go into the Pasuk again. Um, Pasuk Yud. On your joyous days and on your festivals, on the beginning of your months, you shall blow with the trumpets, for your burnt offerings, for your peace offerings, and it shall be a remembrance for you before your God. I am Hashem, your God. So, Rashi, on Yud. The first deeper Hamaschil, the first words that he Cites from the pasuk al oilasechem, and he says bekorban sibor hakasuv medaber, that this pasuk is talking not about a personal korban, a korban yachid, but a korban sibor, a korban that is brought on behalf of the um, the tzibor, the 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 congregation. Um, I I just want to just for a second note that um, for instance the the carbonates that Jews brought when they went to the base of Mikdash to be Eila Regal, right? So on one hand, each Jew had 
to bring it. But those carbonates were also called carbonates seabor because this was a congregational uh, imperative to bring those carbonates. Whereas if a person brought a carbon because they were moved to or because something had happened to them or because they sinned for atonement, that was considered carbon yachit. So the first thing Rashi says here is that carbonates seabor hakasuv medaber. It's talking about communal offerings. And then uh, the words ani Hashem Rashi says, mikan lamadnu. From here we learn from here we learn that we combine majesty or sovereignty or kingship, whichever word you like, with remembrance and the shafer. And Rashi tells us to look into the Pasuk and he says, Shenem, as it says in our Pasuk, Usikatem. So when it says that you shall blow, this is an allusion to the idea of shefres. When it says for remembrance, this is the idea of remembrance. This is majesty, this is sovereignty, this is kingship. Okay, so atkan, these are the words of Rashi. And, uh, you know, if you were teaching, I don't know, elementary or high school, you'd look at this Rashi and be like, uh, the kids are not going to be that enamored with this. There's nothing exciting going on here. Uh, but that's before you learn it with, <laughs> with, a, with a Rashi Sicha. So now let's go straight into the Sicha. So in the Sicha, the first paragraph just cites the Rashi. And then underneath, the Rebbe says, B'tzarech lahavin. We have to understand. And um, what is typical in Rashi Sicha is the Rebbe asks a whole bunch of questions. And then he usually guides us to kind of what's the paradigm shift, you know, what's going to be the turning point. And once you get to that turning point, all of the answers kind of flow elegantly from that one point. Okay, so here are the questions. Aleph. Lechora, it would seem, Dayo, it would have been enough, Sheyomar, that Rashi should say, Bikorban Sibor. Okay, so here's one of the things that Rashi Sichas teach us, that every single word of Rashi, every single word is extremely significant. Okay, so the Rebbe is saying it would have been enough that Rashi should have said, B'Korban Sibur. And that would have been enough for you to be forced to say that even though he doesn't also say al oilaisechem, which is the next type of korban. I'm sorry, even though he doesn't say, he doesn't put in the word that, that expression which means etc. It would also include the next type of of korban that it cites in the pasuk, which is shalashlamim zivchei shalmechem. That is written later, Bakasov in this in this pasuk. In other words, this question is: Why does Rashi have to say the words which seem very innocuous? But the Rebbe is bothered by the fact that Rashi includes the words Hakasov Medaber. Why is that necessary? We would have understood it. Why shouldn't we understand that Rashi is talking about both types of karbanos that are spoken of in this in this pasuk? Beis. Rashi's stated mandate is to teach the pshat of a pasuk. He says this himself. He says, This is my stated goal. That's all I want to do. So where is Rashi's 
um, kind of proof text in Pshuto Shel Mikra, in the in this plain understanding, Shahamidubar who bekorban sibar dafka velo bekorban yachid. On what is Rashi basing this? Yesh Mefarshim, there are Mefarshim that explain that the Hekrach, the Rashi, who that Rashi is forced to say that these are Karbanos Sibar and not Karbanos Yachid, based on the Sifri and the Gemara, Dilemedin, that they teach us Mehekesh Mishlamim, that you, you compare it to, to Shlamim, Dema Shlamim Shel Sibor, just as Karbanos Shlamim are a Karban Sibor, like it's written over there, so too, the carbon oil is also a tzibor, a carbon tzibor, okay? So the, the Mepharshim say, Rashi is forced to say this because that's what the Gemara says, that's what the Sifri says. They make a hekesh, they compare it to the shlamim, and just like the shlamim are carbon tzibor, so the carbon oil has to be a tzibor. But the Rebbe says, as I have spoken many times, Rashi Mepharish kol hadorish lahavonas pshutashal mikra, Rashi explains everything that is necessary to understand the pshat of the pasuk, and the, the learning of chumish begins beven chamesh at five years old. And he doesn't rely that his student, the ben chamesh lemikra, and, and and all of us who are also still ben chamesh lemikra should know what's going on in the Gemara and the Sifri. The im lehekesh then is Rashi. And if Rashi actually was alluding, if this is actually what he's basing his parish on, on this hekesh, on this, uh, the, 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 the way in which these two, this comparison that is made in the Gemara and on the Sifri, hava levaro, then he should have explained that. Al at least he should have at least alluded to this by writing like it says in the Safri. Then at least we would know, we would follow what he's saying, that there's something in the Safri we have to learn. But he doesn't do that. Which means that that's not what he's basing his explanation on. That when he says that it's a Korban Sibor, that the Pasuk is talking, the Kosov Medabal Karban Sibor, that's not what he's talking about. And Gimel al Pihanal, and then once we understand that, Perish Rashi Zem Medaber Baha Kosov. Then we understand that Rashi is talking about something that comes out of the Pasuk itself, Velo Shalemedin Chelka Mechelka, and not like in the Gemara, the Safri, that you're learning it through a comparison. Okay, so that's basically one question, kind of subdivided when it's teased out in three. But it's one question: What does Rashi mean with the words "hakasuv medaber"? Base. We're going into the second part of the sicha. Achakach matik Rashi ani Hashem elokechem. Then the second deeper hamaschil, the second words that Rashi cites from the pasuk are ani Hashem elokechem. I am God, your God. And he says, From here we learn the rule that there always has to be this triad, that these three things come together. The idea of sovereignty, the idea of remembrance, and the idea of blowing shofar. 
Utakatim Hare Shoifers. Again, we're reviewing. In this passage, we have the word Utakatim. This is an allusion to Shoifers. Lizi Karain, this is an allusion to Zuchreines. And Ania Shemel Kechem, this is an allusion to Malchias. Vitzarek Lohavim. And we have to understand. Aleph. Kimidubar Kamapamim, as we've spoken many times. Ain Darka Shal Rashi, Hamifarish, Pshuta Shal Mikra, Lilamid, Hahalachais, Hanidrashais, Mehapasuk. If Rash wanted to make a, an industry of explaining all the halachas that we get out of every pasuk, his, his, his parish would look completely different. That's not Rashi's modality. It's not what he does. The enum may be drushes rozal al pasuk, ele b'makam she drushes rozal, muchreches lahabonus pashtus anyanim. He doesn't even bring drush. He doesn't even bring homiletics where it's not absolutely necessary to understanding the pshat, the simple explanation of the pasuk. Ubenidu didan. So in this pasuk, in this instance that we are now judging, in other words, in this pasuk, ma chaser bahavonus pashtus hakasuf. What is missing in the simple explanation of understanding this pasuk? Shelachein that forces Rashi to bring this rule, this alimut, this teaching from halacha, that these three concepts always come in a cluster, that this is a triad, that it has to be together. What, what compels him to do this? <laughs> well, you know, why is this absolutely necessary to understand the shot of the Pasuk? Beis, Vyaseira, Mizu, and even more. Perush HaKasuk, it seems that what the Torah is telling us here is simple. It's a tzibui, it's a commandment to blow in those trumpets, and through the agency of blowing through the trumpets, you will be remembered before Hashem. And just as the Pasuk, pasuk tests before this one told us, but Rashi seems to be giving us a parish that is not the pshat. The pshat seems to be that this is a time of war. The Jews blew the chatzotes, and through this they were remembered by God, and, and they were helped. And now Rashi seems to be telling us something that right away made our minds go to Musaf in, in Rosh Hashanah, right? Where we have those clusters of psukim in the very, very long Shemana Esri, the longest Shemana Esri of the year. And we have the Malchias, the Chrenis, and the Shefres, right? Why is Rashi bringing us to that place when it's not al Pshat? The Pshat is that there's a war and you have a mitzvah to blow a shofar, And then the shofar, the trumpets, the, the sound of the trumpets is going to evoke God remembering us. And we know that remembrance always means importance, okay? Like, why is Rosh Hashanah called Yom HaZikaron? What? Every other day of the year, Hashem forgets us? It's Yom HaZikaron because it underscores just how pivotal we are, just how important we are. Um, you know, I, I always think in my mind, when somebody says, I forgot, in my head, I'm always like, yeah, it wasn't important enough to you. Because what's important, we don't forget. Okay, so we learned in Pasuk test that you're going to blow the Chatzaytres. Hashem is going to remember you, meaning you're going to come before Hashem in a very, very important way. And, 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 and why is he mixing in? Why is Rashi doing this? And in the same way, when it comes to the words, that's at the very end of this pasuk, 
So these are words, Ani Hashem are words that we have visited before. We've seen these words before. And Rashi has commented on these words before. And in Parshas Ve'era, he comments that the words, Ani Hashem that Hashem can be kind of trusted. He's Ne'eman, he's trustworthy to, to give you the proper schar, to give you the proper um, recompense, to give you the proper reward when you, when you deserve it. And over there, Umaisif Rashi Rashi adds, And Rashi tells us that this is the way we understand this in many places in the Torah. So then Rashi shouldn't have to, have to say anything here. He should we should be coasting along on the regular understanding of what Ani Hashem means, that Hashem is Neman L'Shalim Sachar that we can rely that Hashem is not going to owe us anything, that God will, will give us what we deserve. The Lama Mepharish Rashi Khan, Aleph So why does Rashi explain it in a completely different way here? That's Number one, and base the local pastors glow the koyal psukim alchis, and he doesn't relate to what seems to be the shot of this cluster of psukim. He he relates it to when we say psukim, like I said, in Rosh Hashanah. Ukenir mazgam beloshen Rashi, and this is also alluded to in our Rashi here because he says mikan lamadnu. From here we learn, and that extra word lamadnu. Many many times Rashi will say mikan from here. And he doesn't say the word labanu, but we know it means from here we learn. But here he says mikan labanu, it means there's a limut here. Rashi is kind of acknowledging that this is not the simple pshat, but that he's inserting something new. So what compels Rashi to do this here? Gimel. Rashi ma'atik minakosuv hatebas ani Hashem Right? So this is one of the rules of what, what, what the Rebbe taught us about how to read a Rashi, that every single word that is in the deeper Hamaschil, those are the words that are cited from the Pasuk, every single word he brings down, or doesn't, is seminal to his parish, to understand what he's saying. So the Rebbe says that here, Rashi is mighty, Rashi cites the words, Ani Hashem Elkechem, Aval, but in his parish, he's also explaining the words utikatem and zikaron hanemaros lufneze that are that are said earlier in the pasuk. He should have included those words in the deeper hamaskil as well. or he should have made a separate deeper hamaskil. So Rashi could have looked completely different. There could have been a deeper hamaskil that was with the word utikatem. And then Rashi would have commented, Shefres. Then there would have been the word Lizikarim, and Rashi would have commented Zichrenes. And then Ani Hashem he would have commented Malchis. But he doesn't do that. Why not? Gimel. We're going into the third. By the way, if anybody has any question or anything you want to say, please don't hold back, okay? Um, Gimel. We also have to look carefully at some other things in Rashi. Aleph. Why didn't Rashi preface was saying that our rabbis taught us that this is a drash 
that this is a homiletic from our rabbis, or something along those lines, which he does in many, many places. And he does this, He does this, this is his style, when the Pasuk is such that Rashi's commentary does not really seem to be giving us the pshat. It seems that he's giving us a drash. And so when he does that, he usually prefaces by saying that this is a darsha rabbisenu, our rabbis taught us. But he doesn't do that here. Beis, besiyum rashi At the very end of Rashi, look into your chomish, zu vechule. He adds, etc. What does Rashi mean with that insertion of etc.? What is he hinting at with that? Because he brought it, he, he inserts that word, we understand We understand that it's, it's something that has to do with what he's trying to explain to us. So he should have explained. In other words, don't wink and nod at us. Tell us what you're trying to tell us because we're just simple people. Gimel, the parshas emor perish Rashi zikaroin trua psuke zichrenes upsuke shayfres. This is not the first time that Rashi is alluding to those psukim that we say in Rosh Hashanah. He does that in parshas emor, but he uses the term psuke zichrenes psuke shayfres vikan shina. Here, he diverges from that. He does something different. Vesasam, and he's kind of silent on the words psuke, and he just says very cryptically, zichrainis, shayfres. Why doesn't he put the word psuke in as well? Dalit. So here comes the resolution. Um, he's going to explain, and as I said earlier, it, it, this is kind of the style that the resolution all flows from the Rebbe pointing out one thing, and then everything else kind of flows from that. The Rebbe says, we'll explain this, we'll understand this, it will be, it will be understood, the explanation will be understood by prefacing with another thing that we should be wondering. There's a tamiya, there's something you should wonder about here, and that is, Duvar Kamapanim, Shedarke Shal Rashi, Pirushe Alatayr Lefarish, Kol Dovar Hasasum, Shutashal Mikra. We spoke many times that Rashi's parish on the Torah, which is different than his parish on the Gemara, but in, in his parish on the, on, on the Torah, his mandate is to explain everything that seems to be missing to understand the Shutashal Mikra. Anything that, that the, the posuk is silent on, but that you need to understand the pshat, that's what Rashi's mandate is to fill in. Val pizeh, So according to this, we have to understand something. And that is, lama lo Rashi Why does Rashi not tell us what the words biyayim simchaschem mean? What is this? What are these days of joy? These days of happiness? We don't know what this is. The pasuk begins with the words What are those? What, what joyous day is this pasuk talking about? You cannot explain that means 
the holidays, the Moyadim, are Yamim Tevim. The there's two reasons you can't say. The first of all, Nisku Tekev La'achrezeh, they are mentioned right after. It says, B'yayim Simchaschem, Uvimayadechem, which means, by definition, that B'yayim Simchaschem has to be referring to something else. But Rashi doesn't tell us what it's referring to. It's Bifnei Atzmai, it's another thing. And Beis, Ubevav HaMoysif Alakaitim, Uvimayadechem. And there's the Vav that connects B'yayim Simchaschem, Uvimayadechem, which means it's a different category. It's not what we're talking about, so what is this? So so in the Medrash, that's the halachic Medrash that teases out the halacha, the Sifri tells us, that this is referring to Shabbos. But the Rebbe says, there's two problems with this. If it's so simple that this is talking about Shabbos, Rashi should have told us. Rashi should have told them in Chamesh Mikra. This is what the Pasuk is talking about. And Beis, Ef Sharle Rashi al Pishitasai bePerusha lefarish kein ki de bePashtos haksuvim loy matzino inyan hasimcha beShabbos. Rashi says, but it's also against Rashi's shita. It's also against Rashi's mandate because Rashi's mandate is to give us Pshutah Mikra. In Pshutah Mikra, there's no such paradigm as simcha on Shabbos. Oinik, yes. Simcha, no. It's not a thing. We don't find anywhere that Shabbos should be called Yom Simchaschem. Especially because it's listed right before Mayadechem, the holidays. If anything, the Mayadim, the holidays, are referred to as days of Simcha, as it says specifically in the Torah, you should rejoice on your holidays. And, and the Chabbat says, and I just want to point out, and if you're going to do a halachic analysis about Simcha and Shabbos, it's not so simple. Again, there's a distinction between Oineg, pleasure, and Simcha, joy. And so therefore, the Chabbat finds that this is not what it's talking about. And you also can't say that the Pasuk is referring to a day where a person gets up and they're just levitating. They're just joyous. They're happy. It's just a personal simcha. A person gets up. They're very happy. And they decide that their heart is bursting with joy and they want to bring a carbon to Hashem. You can't say that if that happens, that you have to blow trumpets. perish Rashi, because we said already that Rashi teaches Rashi taught us in the first part of Rashi that this is talking about a communal thing, a congregational thing. So you can't say is talking about a day of joy that's personal. Because Rashi doesn't mention anything on these words, 
Therefore, we must say, Since Rashi is silent, we must infer that according to Rashi, this is understood, this should be self-understood, and therefore does not call out for commentary. Okay, so if Rashi is not telling us something, and we're wondering why, it's for a very simple reason, because Rashi believes that we can figure this out by ourselves, either by the psukim that come before it, or by something he taught us somewhere else. So what's going on here? Habir, hey, we're in the fifth part of the, of the chasicha, v'habir, and the explanation. The explanation comes, b'pasukulufneza, in the Pasuk right before the one we're doing. So Pasuk Tes. So let's please revisit that Pasuk. Okay, let's read it from the, from the beginning. Right? So when we did this at the very beginning, we talked about the various usages of the silver trumpet. There were various usages. And among them was, if war shall come into your land, against the oppressor who oppresses you, you shall blow truas, you should blow a certain sound with the trumpets. You'll be remembered before God, your God. And you'll be delivered from your enemies. That's what the Pasuk told us right before this one. And it was all, the Rebbe points out, all of these steps in the Pasuk were all connected to each other. The, the enemy will come, you will blow the shofar and Hashem will remember you, and Hashem will save you, and you will have salvation. It's all connected. It's a trajectory. And then in this Pasuk Yud, it starts with a Vav again. And on the day of your joy. Okay? It's not usual that a Pasuk should begin with Vav. It happens, and every time it happens, it's important. It teaches us something. So the Rebbe says, here it teaches us, that this Pasuk is a continuation of the Pasuk test that came before it. So we understand, simply, What's the Yom Simchaschem? This is a day of joy because you were victorious in this war. This is a day of joy that you're going to use to thank and to laud Hashem for the way in which you were saved from your enemy. And so the Pasuk teaches us that in addition to the way that you blew on the trumpets when you were feeling oppressed by the oncoming, the onslaught of the enemy, but then on the next day, when you're full of joy and you're celebrating the victory, you also have to blow trumpets as part of the day of celebration, the day of joy that follows the war. And so now we will understand simply so now we understand simply where does Rashi get it that when it says that this is a carbon seaboard. If we follow Rashi's thoughts, right, 
that this pasuk is a, is a is a continuation of the pasuk before. And that Yaisim Chaschem here is a day of joy that the whole Am Yisrael is celebrating that they won the war, that they were saved, that they're alive. That's why Rashi says, so simply, it's a carbon Sibor. It's not a personal thing. It's a communal thing. Because everything that's going on in these psukim, it's all in the plural. None of this is personal. It's communal. It's simple. It has to be a korban tzibor. And when we say that the Pasuk is talking about about um, everything that's, that's communal, then it also includes the shlamim. So it's not like the Sifri and the Gemara that learn from the shlamim that the Ayla is a korban sibor. No. They have to say that Rashi is telling us hakasuv midaber. The Pasuk is, is talking to us. It's telling us simply. This is all communal. It's a continuation. Yem Simchaschem is the day of joy that follows this terrible scare that you had and this terrible trauma. There was a war and you won and now there's a Yem Simcha and now you're going to blow the Chatzvetes and you're going to bring and you're going to bring Karbanes and these are going to be Karbanes Tzibor. Vav. Vihine al nemar le'il. So based on everything that we've said above, the pasuk zeh nemar behemshak la pasuk dulfanav. That pasuk yud is a direct continuation of what's going on in pasuk tes. Move on gamkin de'ain lefarish ani Hashem alakecham hanemar kan ki peirusha b'shar mekaimas. So now, once we understand what's going on here, once we understand the context, we understand that you cannot possibly understand the words Ani Hashem Elokeichem in their conventional sense, that Ani Hashem Elokeichem means that Hashem will always reward you justly, that you can trust Hashem, that he will not be a Baal Chayv, that he will, not, he, he, he will not be somebody who, you know, reneges on, 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 on his loan. He'll give you everything that you deserve. Why? Why? Because look at Pazuk Tes. Pazuk says, There's going to be a war. You're going to blow on those trumpets. And through your blowing on the trumpets, which will evoke a sense of tshuva in you and a sense of reliance on God, you will be saved from your enemies. That's your reward. So why would you need to mention it again? Why would you think that in the Pasuk that comes right after that, where you already see what the reward is, right? Hashem says, the reward is going to be, I'm going to save you. That means that the words on Hashem have to mean something else. Has to mean something else. It can't just be the reward that comes from Utkatem. Because of Tukatim, the, the, the reward for that, we already saw. V'noi shatim, Hashem is going to save you. V'lachein mefarish rashi, shahayitur da'ani Hashem lokechem. That would seem to be the redundant words, ani Hashem lokechem, ha'nemar kan, ba'lulamit halacha. Comes to teach us halacha, comes to teach us something else. Not what it usually would teach us in other places. 
And that's why Rashi inserts the word He doesn't just say Mikan. He says Mikan Lamadnu because he is telling you this is not my regular pshat. I'm teaching you a halacha. Mikan Lamadnu, there's a limud. He's not coming to teach us the conventional pshat of these words. He's dafka coming to teach us halacha. Umam Sheikh Rashi. And Rashi continues. Malchiyos im zichreinos vishoifreis shenemar or tekatem haray shoifreis zikaron haray zichreinos ani Hashem lekechem zu malchiyos. Okay, and Rashi continues, and 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 now the Rebbe brings us again the words of Rashi. Ve'ein kavanasar lefarish de utekatem goyim zikaron hu amiras psukim. Shareze hepechapshat. Now the Rebbe explains why he doesn't do here what he did in Parshas Emar, where he says that it's about the Psukim. Here, Rashi doesn't mention the word Psukim. Ella. Rashi wants to tell us that by this, that the Pasuk added the words, at the end of Pasuk Yud, the words, which are not necessary to the Pshut Hashem Mikra, it would seem. By adding this, even though Pasuk tests Hashem already told us, I'm going to give you your just reward. I'm going, to, I'm going to save you from your enemies. Here, Rashi is telling us, the Torah is teaching us, that when you have the idea, when you have the concept of shoifres, when you have the concept of zichreinus, you also have to add the concept of sovereignty. In other words, he's not coming only or even mainly to teach us the halacha of what we do on Rosh Hashanah with those psukim. He's coming to tell us that conceptually, these ideas are a triad. That when you talk about shoifers, when you talk about zechreines, you also have to talk about malchies. Just like in this puzzle, you have allusion to these two concepts, the concept of shoifers, the concept of so the puzzle adds, it seems, extra words to teach us that you have to have the concept of malchias of sovereignty. Okay? He's teaching us that whenever you have zechreines, when you have the idea of remembrance, and you have the idea of shofar, you have to have the idea of sovereignty. That's why Rashi does not do what he does in Parshas Emmer and insert the word psuke, the psukim that talk about these things. Ella He just does it very, very like kind of concise. And he tells us that when you have zechreinus, when you have shoifers, you have to have also malchies. Because here, he's not talking about the psukim. He's talking about the idea, conceptually. Zion. Um, and and at, at this point, well, Zion and Ches, and after that, we're going to get into 
how this relates to us in our personal Aveda. So if you're kind of feeling like your head is exploding a little or you're losing interest because it's getting too technical, take heart. We're coming to the part that women really love in, in just a moment. Okay, you know what? I'm looking, um, okay, let's not skip anything. Okay, Zayim, the Rebbe says to say this a little bit differently, the same idea, but a little bit differently. Gam Rashi perish That Rashi's also saying that it's, it's pshat. And, and therefore, he doesn't have to explain, just like he didn't explain it in the Passover test, that we should already understand what's going on here, that you're going to blow, and when you're going to blow, Hashem is going to remember you. So everything that's happening in Pasuk Yud is kind of, we, we know this already from Pasuk Tess. That you're going to blow the shofar. You're going to be remembered by God, right? But what's really bothering Rashi is, what's this with Ani Hashem Lekechem? What is this appendage handing there, uh, uh, hanging there? What, what, why? So that's why he teaches us from here, we learn this limud about Very often the Rebbe um, uses this expression, Talmud Mimulach. Talmud, it literally means the salty student. It means like the really astute one who will always catch you and be like, but... Okay, so the Rebbe says, but, but there's something that the astute student will ask. Lama Mishane Rashi. Why does Rashi change the order of how these concepts are listed in the puzzle? So Rashi, let's take a look. Okay, look. Look at Rashi, But now look at the Pasuk. The Pasuk actually presents these three concepts in the inverse order. First it says, Then it says, And then it says, Right? Why the inverted order? Uh, okay. So, so, why invert the order? And now we're answering that question the Rebbe asked, why does Rashi end with the word etc.? What does the etc. at the end of Rashi teach us? It teaches us, his kavana, his intention of Rashi is, the intention of Rashi is to send us to the Sifri to see what else the Sifri says there. And this is what the Sifri says. The Sifri asks the same question and then says, so why is it that the, the Chachamim were metaking, that when we say the Pesukim, we say Malchus, then we say Zechrenes, then we say Shefres. And, and they explain to us, First, you have to make Hashem your king. 
That's number one. Kabolos o malchus shemayim. First, accept God as your king. Ba'achakach bakesh rachamim milfanov. Afterwards, you'll be able to ask him for rachamim. Once you establish the relationship that he's your king, then you'll come before him and you'll ask him for rachamim. Kedeshatiskerle. That he should remember you. And how will you coronate the king? And how will you come before him to ask for Rachamim? This will be B'Shefer. This will be through blowing the Shefer. And therefore, Kishirashi, maybe Hadin Dechachamim, maybe Yogam So since Rashi is teaching us this Limud of the Chachamim, he brings it in the order that they established. The Ein Rashi Matig, the case of Zeb Perush. So why doesn't Rashi bring this down? So the Rebbe explains, because it's not Pshut Mikra. It's not at all seminal to understanding the Pshut of Mikra, of the puzzle. But Rashi wants to tell you that you should know this. You should understand why he put it in this order. So the Vechule over there is telling you, go crack another book, open up the Sifri, and see what the Chachamim were attacking there. Test. And here the Rebbe is already going into the Hasidus. And now let's sweeten the order of how these things are presented in this teaching here. Let's sweeten the divergence in how this, these things are ordered in how the Chachamim were talking from the way in which they're presented by the Pasuk by going to the Pnimis and Yanim, the innermost understanding of the Hasidus. So the Rebbe says, that when, it, when you talk about these three concepts, sovereignty, remembrance, and the blowing of the shofar, it's explained in Hasidus and in, in the Siddur of the Arizal, that the Indian of shofar is the Indian of Bina, of understanding deeply. Zichreines, the idea of remembrance, is Zah, Zer Ampin. It's the six Midas, Chesed, Gevura, Teferes, Netzach, Hoid, and Yisait. Umalchios is the idea of Malchus. Okay, so just to talk very briefly to concretize this, that when you hear the Shefer, when, when, when a Yid hears the Shefer, this is supposed to trigger a deep understanding of what this day is, of who we are, of what our relationship is with Hashem, once we understand this, this will trigger an emotional response. That's the, that's the, that's the six midas. That's the chreinus. And then we'll be in a position to really accept Hashem as our melech. But the Torah is speaking from above going down to below. So, so the Torah is talking about there's a binary, there's two truths. There's the way things are looking from above going down, and then there's the way things are looking from, from down going upward, right? So milmaila lamata in the Seder, what's happening from upstairs, from God going down, matchil mishayfres. You start with shayfres, bina. Achakach zichrenes. Like we said, 
you start with evoking the the intellect, then the then the emotions. <laughs> but in our Seder, where we're going from bottom up, we start in the lowest level and we go level by level higher and higher. And therefore, when we're going to be davening Rosh Hashanah, the Seder is going to be, we're going to start with Malchus. Malchus, One minute. Yeah. First, we have to have all. That's going to be first. And then is going to be the, the Indian of emotions will follow. And then will be the Indian of understanding. So when you're going from Milmaila Lamata, you start with understanding, that triggers emotions, and that triggers a response of accepting Malchushamayim. But we little people, we have to start the other way. It has to be Nasa and then Nishma. First has to be Malchus. We have to accept all Malchushamayim. That's the fact. Hashem is our king. Once we do that, we establish a fact on the ground, we build our emotions on that, and become hopefully, maybe, to some type of bina, some type of understanding. And in Yud, the Rebbe says, Bir shall call And how do we understand this in our, because the most important thing is always, how do we take this in our personal life? How do we understand this in our personal life? Each one of us. So the Rebbe says like this, very quickly, because we're running kind of out of time. I don't know how much time people have allotted. So, Kisaboyu Milchama, when a war is going to come upon you. The Rebbe says, Mirames al Milchemes Ha'adam Himayetzahara Tamid. This is an allusion to the war that we have with Ayetzahara constantly. Shehu Hatsar Hatsayer Eschem. This is the enemy that oppresses you. Ki ein Lanu Tsar Hatsayer Kamayu. We have no other enemy that oppresses us. Anything as consistently and as strongly as the Yetzirah. Ubefrat, when? Especially Bashas Hatfila, especially when we try to daven. And this could also mean when we try to do good things. Like when we say, okay, now I'm going to daven. Now I'm going to do something good. Oh, the enemy comes to oppress us. Like it says, the Shas Slesa, Shas Krava, that the time of davening is a time of war. That's when the Yitzhahara comes to uh, mix you up and to, um, to, 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 means to, yeah, to, to, to mix you up, to make you, to, to, to upend you with machshavazaris, with, with, with thoughts that don't belong there, you know, foreign thoughts. So there's something really poignant and beautiful about, about what the Rebbe is teaching here. That what is the Eitzah? What is the Eitzah for, for doing battle with Eitzah? You have to blow with the trumpets. And what is this an allusion to? This is an illusion that the trumpet blowing causes us to go into a state of bitl, to go into a state of self-abnegation and subjugation. I'm sorry, who Indian, that, that in the spiritual service, 
this idea of blowing with trumpets is the idea, these are words from, from Tehillim, I believe. Uh, this is a broken and shattered heart. Bittel means um, self-abnegation, and subservience. That we should cry out, those are the words, I'm sorry, from, from um, Tehillim, Mimayim Hazadainim. Um, I, I have to look up where's the words Leib Nishbar Benitka. It could be from Tilba, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, but the point is, the Rebbe is saying here that we have to cry out to Hashem that He should have Rahmanis on us and He should save us. And this way we will be remembered before Hashem will be saved. And you know how, like on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, when we say the Avinu Malkenu, and I'm guessing, like, that this is true for each one of us, that there are certain Avinu Malkinus that really we say so wholeheartedly for whatever reason, because we know somebody who's very sick and really needs a Rafor Shlema. I'm guessing that this year, the one about Menama Geifa Menachal is going to be very poignant and it's going to have great resonance, we, you know, because we've lived through a plague, actually. But then there's, we say Avinu Malkinu, like, bring us to, bring us to Tshuva. Like, do we cry during that Avinu Malkeinu? Like we cry for the physical things? It's, it's harder. And here the Rebbe is teaching us that you need to cry out to Hashem to help you spiritually just as much as we need to cry out for the physical things. Sometimes it seems to us like for our spiritual faults, for our foibles and our frailties, we kind of take responsibility for that. That's our fault. You know, if somebody's sick, that's Abish's fault. That's Avinu Malkeinu we cry. But here the Rebbe is saying, no, 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 no. You have to cry out for help in your spiritual um, challenges. And maybe a person will think in his heart, that this person might think, okay, I understand. I need to blow the trumpets. I need to be in a state of brokenness and real bitul and cry out to Hashem to help me when my Yitzhahar is doing battle with me. But after I win the war, but once I've surmounted this challenge and I'm good, and I'm even serving God with my intellect, and I'm actually enjoying it. I'm not forcing myself to serve God. I'm actually enjoying it. At that point, you might think, okay, I don't need to be in a state of bitl and subservience anymore. I'm good. I've, 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 I've emerged on the other end and I'm great. So Pasuk Yud comes to teach us, the Pasuk we've been looking at, the Rashi we've been looking at, that in your day of joy that follows the battle, when you think it's all over and everything is good, still it has to be you still have to blow those trumpets. Even as you're bringing karbanis in your great joy and in your great relief and you're feeling kind of like, I got this and I'm strong and I this is it. You still have to be blowing those trumpets. There still has to be the state of self-abnegation. And now the Rebbe is addressing something that he hasn't really 
Restia, the two different types of carbonis that are spoken of in this puzzle, when you bring those carbonis, and a carbon is always about kiruv, right? It's always about coming closer to Hashem. That's always the idea of, of a carbon. Mipurash, because of shahaseiderhu, what's the seder and the carbonis that you're bringing? There's an order, and that's significant. First, and we know that the korban oil is distinctive in that it was completely burnt to Hashem. A korban shlomim has aspects that are eaten by the kahanim, aspects that are eaten by the baal ha-korban, the person that brings the korban, but the oil is kolil Hashem, it's completely consumed by God. So the Rebbe says, this is, this is, there's an order here, and it's, it's seminal, it's important. First, you have to bring a korban oila that is consumed completely. What does it mean by vaydas adam? How does this translate metaphorically in our spiritual work? There has to be a state where you're completely given over to God. And afterwards, you bring a carbon shlomim. And then there's a stage where there's room for some of it to go to the Baal, to the person who brings the carbon, some of it to go to the Gahanim. And metaphorically, the carbon shlomim, the fact that there are parts that go to the person that brought the carbon and parts that go to the Kayin, this is an allusion to the fact that now you're doing an Aveda where you get something out of it, where you understand it and you enjoy it. That's why Tam, the Hebrew word Tam means reason and it means taste. Because when we can understand the reason for something, it tastes good to us. Okay? So there's already a, a, an aspect of the enjoyment of the self. So the Rebbe is saying that in, when, when there is this hachna or bitl, when we're in the state of self-abnegation, the first part is complete. And the second part, the, the shalmechem, is already a part where there is room for havana bahasaga, for you to kind of insert yourself, understand, understand it, enjoy it. And there's already hana to those that bring the korban. And to conclude, and more generally, korban ola hi dugmas avedis hatfila. The korban ola is um, alludes to the idea of davening. Sha'adam oila umizdabeg bakadish barahu. Ideally, when we daven, we are elevated and we are um, completely attached to Hashem. Korban shlamim nechalabalim. Korban shlamim that has a portion that's eaten by the person who brings the korban. He dukmas havoidam adam be'es asko betzorcha bagashmim be'meshakalayim. The korban shlamim is an allusion to you know. Look, we daven certain parts of the day, but most of the day, presumably, we're taken up with other kinds of things: our physical, material, corporeal needs, other things we're doing during the day. But Everything we're doing has to be l'shem shemayim. In all of our ways, we have to know God. But there is a seder. First, you bring the korban oila. First, there has to be this complete subservience to Hashem. First, there has to be davening. That's how you start the day. And then you go into your day. And yes, of course, your day is also going to be holy. Everything is going to be l'shem shemayim, etc., etc. But it's mostly consumed with the Baal. 
And why do you have to do it in this order? Because Allah says you're not allowed to engage in your needs and get involved in all of your, all the things that, that take up your time and your headspace and your heart space before you dive in. And Rashi underscores this even more. He says, And, 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 and the Rebbe says, Rashi is telling you one other lesson here. It's not enough that your avoda should be personal. You have to kind of embed yourself in the tzibor. It can't just be something you're doing for yourself. The dafka tefillas harabim hiritsuya yoselef nehamakom. And we're taught in the Shulchan Aruch, the dafka, when you daven with others, then it is accepted um, with greater ease by Hashem Yisbarach. So in other words, even though it seems that the avoda here that he is teaching us from this pasukah, from this Rashi, is very personal, but he doesn't end before he points out that there's an illusion to how the personal must also be communal. And that is even in our tefillah, it has to be tefillah b'tzibor. And it doesn't mean here literally as much as it means that, that metaphorically, every part of us has to also have an aspect or has to be informed by a Consciousness, consciousness, and a sensitivity, and a sense of um, obligation and responsibility towards the tzibur. Um, so that's the that's the sicha for today. And I just want to kind of sum up the practical takeaways. We have to realize that the Yitzhahara is a formidable enemy, <laughs> um, and not not for a second delude ourselves that we got this covered. Uh, we have to remember that it will come to us when we want to do something positive. The Rebbe brings down that that's usually when it is. When we want to do something positive, then the Yitzhara inserts itself. And we have to remember that even when we have overcome, we're never really in the clear. We always need to be with Hashem. We're never without Hashem. We're never without the need to attach ourselves to something transcendent, something higher. And, and, uh, and through that middle, through knowing our place, as it were, and, and that, that place of brokenness and shattered, shatteredness, I know that's not a word, um, that's when we're able to really come out um, in, in a place of victory. Um, so I think it was a, a word from um, the Katzke but that there's nothing as whole as a broken heart. Um, but a broken heart and joy is what we're looking for. So I wish everybody a very good week, everything good, Koltov, and thank you for the privilege of studying with you. I'm looking forward to next week, Koltov. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was so incredibly inspiring. Thank you. Thank you.